into the shadows with Jordan. Welcome back to another episode of Into the Shadows. This week continues our spooky season episodes, and this one is very interesting. There's a theory out there that Ben Franklin was a murderer. For those of you who don't know who Ben Franklin is, he was a leading figure in, Amer- in early American history. He was born in 1706 and died in 1790. He was a statesman, an author, a publisher, a scientist, inventor, and a diplomat. Most people know Ben Franklin as the guy who discovered electricity by flying a kite with a key tied to the end of it in a thunderstorm. Before signing the Declaration of Independence, Ben Franklin lived at 36 Craven Street in London. More than 200 years later, 15 bodies were found in the basement buried in secret. In 1998, conservationists were doing repairs on 36 Craven Street to turn Franklin's old house into a museum where they found over 1,200 pieces of bones in a one meter by one meter deep pit. The bodies consisted of men, women, and children. Forensic analysts showed that the bodies dated back to Franklin's time period. People speculated since Franklin was a powerful Freemason, the Grand Master Masons of Pennsylvania, that he may have been doing dark rituals or hiding dark secrets in that basement. But could this really be true? Could Ben Franklin really have murdered people in secret as part of some dark ritual? Or is the truth less dark and sinister? In the 18th century in England, the study of human anatomy was improving medical care, but it was creating a demand for dead bodies. As medicine evolved through science, there was an increased need of cadavers in order to teach anatomy to students. The only problem was there wasn't enough fresh dead bodies. Now, you're probably thinking, can't you just go and dig up some old bodies in a graveyard? But the decomposition that sets in makes the bodies practically useless at that point. In reality, you really need a fresh dead body. And that's where grave robbers came in handy. They were known as resurrectionists. They would watch and wait for the bodies to be buried. And when the time was right... They would dig them up and sell the bodies for anywhere between $5 to $30, which in today's money would be $2,000 to $12,000 U.S. Dr. William Hewson is known as the father of hematology and was a respected doctor. He was very knowledgeable of the human body. Medical schools in his time were teaching anatomy, but not teaching as in-depth as he would and could by using cadavers. So he decided to open up a private school. (laughs) Dr. Hewson was running an underground anatomy school and dissecting loads of cadavers. At age 34, he ends up dying from septic mania or blood poisoning. And it's thought to be from cutting into so many cadavers. 
the public starts to catch wind of what these resurrectionists are doing and starts to go after the medical schools. Because if it wasn't for them buying bodies, there would be no resurrectionists. When the police failed to help the public, the public took matters into their own hands and started to pay people to protect the bodies of their loved ones. People started placing mort safes over the coffins. Mort safes are iron cages that were placed over coffins to make it impossible for someone to break into it. This is also where grave guns were invented. Grave guns are just like shotguns, where it has a shotgun barrel. Grave guns were placed on a grave, and when someone got too close and tripped the wire, the gun would swirl around and shoot whoever tripped the wire. In 1832, new laws were finally passed in Great Britain in order to deter the body snatchers. The Anatomy Act allowed yourself unclaimed bodies, and your loved ones to donate bodies for medical research to the medical schools. By 1844, in the United Kingdom, grave robbing pretty much was at a dead stop and ceased to exist. Oh, and on the theory of Ben Franklin, it turns out him and Dr. William Hewson actually knew each other very, very, very well. You see, they were actually roommates. The basement was where Dr. Hewson was actually holding his anatomy school. So, Ben Franklin was not a murderer. However, there is a more sinister story when it comes to electricity, and it has to do with Thomas Edison. In 1881, in Buffalo, New York, a drunken worker named Emanuel Smith accidentally touched a live circuit in an electricity plant. The high voltage of electricity went all the way through him, which caused him to fall over dead. In the 1880s, electricity was in its infancy. Ordinary people saw electricity as magical and even, at times, divine, which sparked doctors to experiment just like in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein novel. Doctors would administer electric current to the corpses, causing them to twitch. There was an assumption that electricity equals power, and that power could bring back life into something. So with the news of Smith's death traveling fast, it was like a wake-up call to people that electricity can be lethal and potentially fatal. A local dentist named Alfred Southwick heard the news of Smith's death and how it was instantaneous and most likely painless, which sparked an idea in Southwick's head. What if electricity could be used to put people to death in a humane way in the United States. You see, at the time, the dominant way to execute was by hanging. Bungled hangings had started to turn people off of capital punishment. The problem with hangings was that it just honestly took too long, and at times it wouldn't break the neck. So it left many people hanging for at least 20 to 30 minutes and asphyxiating to death. 
Because of this, the state created a commission to look for alternative ways to execute. On that commission was Alfred Southwick, who, after hearing about Smith's death, suggest electrocution in a dentist's chair. But the chairman of the commission wasn't really impressed. He felt using poison, like morphine, would have been better for capital punishment. But the concern with using morphine was that it was actually kind of easy and looked very peaceful. It wasn't scary enough for them. Executions served as a deterrent effect on people. It was made to instill fear into those people. With electricity, the state would be the only entity that was using it to inflict death on folks. Its violence would be kind of like godlike. Southwick takes matters into his own hands and decides he's going to contact Thomas Edison. Now, Edison's personal thoughts on the death penalty was that it was barbaric and that humans really shouldn't be doing it. Southwick's letter to Thomas Edison stated, Your personal opinions about the death penalty do not pertain. While it's the law of the land, we have a responsibility to make it humane as possible. Edison genuinely cared about reducing pain and suffering in the world. So he writes back, I would be pleased to speak to your commission about electricity. But no one knew Edison had an ulterior motive and was really thinking about his own financial interest. You see, Edison had a competitor, and his name was George Westinghouse. Westinghouse was a Pennsylvania engineer who in the mid-1800s was promoting a different form of electricity than Edison's direct current. It's called alternating current, and with Westinghouse's success, it made the two of them bitter rivals. Alternating current was superior to Edison's direct current in a number of different ways, so Edison saw this as a threat. Edison spotted the perfect opportunity to take out his enemy by helping and creating the electric chair. But he had only one condition, and that was using alternate current generators, which he specifically said being manufactured by George Westinghouse. In June of 1888, the state of New York approves execution by electric chair as the primary form of capital punishment. But the state still is not settled on what voltage to use and which current for the electric chair will be used as well. Oh my God, listen to how petty and sneaky this guy Edison was. He released illustrations of his first design that he ever proposed. And this man put on the generator in the illustration, the Westinghouse label. He even joked around with his company that executions by electricity could be and would be called being Westinghoused. <laughs> That's insane. Edison started doing some gruesome series of tests on many dogs, horses, and calves, which 
this was the goal of showing these groups of people that alternating current was the way to go. And it actually worked. Even though people were in pretty much horror watching these animals being tortured. So the governor, David Hill, signs into law a bill that funds the construction of three electric chairs for the state's three prisons. Um, I think it was Kutan, Sing Sing, and Auburn were the three. The first electric chair was a sturdy oak frame with leather straps that would bind the person at the chest, arms, waist, and legs and had two metal electrodes placed on the head and the back. When the switch is flipped, a thousand volts of current will surge through the victim, supposedly killing them instantly. William Kelmer is unfortunately the first person to be sentenced to death under the state's new Electrical Execution Act. On August 6, 1890, Kelmer is escorted to the electric chair at New York's Auburn Prison. He is strapped in. A mask covers everything on his head except for his mouth. Everything is secured and doctors that are standing next to the chair have a plan to put 1,000 volts into Kelmer. They turn the current on and it flowed for 17 seconds. Everyone immediately starts to celebrate because it looks like Kelmer is actually dead and they were successful. Turns out he wasn't. He starts gasping for air. They recharge the chair for another attempt, this time doubling the voltage. They amp it up to 2,000 volts, and this really creates one gruesome scene. He's convulsing, foam coming out of his mouth. Bits of Kelmer's jacket begin to smolder and catch on fire. He looks like he's sweating blood, and that's because the blood vessels are bursting in his face. Smoke was rising from his head. By some accounts, an ungodly smell was coming from him. They basically fried him to death. People say it was eight minutes of hell. The main problem with Kelmer's botch execution was the placement of the electrodes. Instead of at the head and the middle of the back, it should have been placed at his head and his feet. That path would have ensured that most of the current would have passed near or through his heart, which would have killed him much, much quicker than what had happened. So the aftermath of Kelmer's horrific execution, Westinghouse actually went on record and said that simply they would have done a much better job just using an axe. The botched execution prompts engineers to redesign the chair. Later creations of the electric chair improved upon that first design by changing the electrodes from metal to brass a copper mesh introduced to the top of the scalp to ensure that the current path would actually pass through the heart and killing the person quickly. The upgrades actually reduced the chair's failure rate to less than 2%. As of 2023, the electric chair is still being used to this day. In states like Oklahoma, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Florida. There are 4,374 people who have died by the electric chair in the United States.
And you know what's wild is that if he never signed on to doing the project and trying to really damage the uh, reputation of his rival, we we probably wouldn't have the electric chair. And I think that's so crazy because it's such a part of American history. And really, if you think about it, he is, in fact, a murderer because he killed over 4,000 people by creating this chair. So I find that crazy that we don't think about it that way. What's even more ironic is that Edison actually loses the whole war on everything. Alternating current is what we use to this day, and it's the preferred way because it's cheap and easy. So in the end, Thomas Edison lost, and Westinghouse ended up ended up winning. You know, he he pretty much suffered in his own way by losing, losing out. And it was all for selfish reasons. But let me know what your thoughts are on this episode. What did you find, find interesting about it? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Did you think it was too gruesome? Let me know what your thoughts are. And um, stay tuned because I have a couple of more things up my sleeve for spooky season. So either way, let me know your thoughts. <laughs> 